Hello, listeners. We had an audio issue this week that resulted in lower audio quality than usual. We are very sorry about this. Maybe you won't even notice, and the person who made the mistake can get away with it without too much embarrassment. It was an honest mistake, and he feels bad enough already, so I won't even name him. Anyway, hopefully this will work. Um, and God, if you need to use a Skype backup for some crazy f***ed up reason, then blame me. But it sh- you shouldn't. You really shouldn't. We need to talk about, uh, for the next to last time, we need to talk about one very important thing, which is the Real AFM uh, fundraiser for St. Jude. Last week, when we recorded the episode, uh, they were at something like $60,000. Yeah, they were somewhere in the 60s. By the time, within a few hours of the episode being released, not only did they cross the $75,000 mark, which was their goal, they crossed the $100,000 mark I believe the same day that ATP was released. And so thank you from the bottom of all three of our hearts uh, and from all of Relay, even though ATP is not officially on Relay, obviously we are a, I, I guess we, you could say a sister show to Relay. Uh, it means a lot to all three of us and especially to uh, Relay that that, that our, our listeners and everyone else have, have opened their wallets uh, and, and sent money to St. Jude. Uh, I can't think of a better place to send uh, some of your hard-earned money than St. Jude. Uh, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with them, if you missed it last week, uh, St. Jude is a children's research hospital that is in Memphis, Tennessee, which just so happens to be the hometown of Stephen Hackett, who is one of the founders of Relay FM. Uh, St. Jude does incredible work with both research and treatment of childhood cancer. And what St. Jude has decided is, you know, hey, if you have this god-awful situation wherein one of your children has cancer, let's do what we can to take away the one thing that we can really and truly control, which is the cost of treatment. And because treatment is so expensive in this country, because our country is so backwards in a lot of ways, it can be millions upon millions of dollars that, that is spent on one human being. You know, because really, uh, because St. Jude doesn't charge their families, they, this money needs to come from somewhere. And guess what, kids? It comes from you and me. And as we've talked about in the last episode, you know, all three of us are spending some uh, uh, absurd amount of money on Apple products uh, this year. As it turns out, we'll talk in the after show about how I'm signing up for spending even more money at Apple than I had originally intended this year. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, I actually have not yet made my donation. But before the end of the month, I will be making my donation to uh, or our donation, I should say, to St. Jude on behalf of the List family. I encourage you, if you just spent $1,000 on a telephone or several hundred dollars on, an, on a watch, I bet you can scrape together at least 100 bucks to send St. Jude to help out families who are fighting and battling childhood cancer. I cannot think of a better organization to give your money to. Uh, I cannot thank you enough. And, and I ask you, if you haven't yet contributed, to please think about doing so. Go to stjude.org slash ATP, S-T-J-U-D-E dot org slash ATP. If you can send any money their way, even five bucks, we'd appreciate it. But if you want to be guilt-free from having spent $1,000 plus on an iPhone 11 Pro Max or whatever you chose to get, Maybe spend maybe spend like a hundred bucks, maybe even five hundred bucks on St. Jude. I think it is absolutely worth it. Yeah, consider it like a consumerism offset credit. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I like that a lot. All right, let's move on and let's talk about uh, the follow-up that I really wanted to put in last week. I know you've been waiting with bated breath. Uh, before you continue, uh, I did happen to take a look at that uh, that little follow-up snippet uh, that you linked in the notes. Do you want to say anything about that, Casey? Uh, I, I don't know. I'd listened to it two or three days ago. Why? You you yelled at me at the time, didn't you? <laughs> so it's what it is, is you, Casey, saying that you have some follow up and both me and Marco saying, hey, wait a second. We don't do follow up in Apple event shows. <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's the clip you're putting in. 
as, as proof that we had to show. All right, just anyway, you can put the link in. People can judge for themselves. I'm just saying you're, it's, not, it's not really helping your case. I'm vindicated. I'm telling you I'm vindicated. All right, moving on. The follow-up from last week that I never got to, uh, I know you've been super excited to hear about it. Uh, when we were talking about SiriusXM and how I was trying to, um, let's say I was trying to time shift some of the recording. Or, uh, it feels like a lifetime ago. Yeah, it does feel like a lifetime ago. Uh, and I'd said, you know, I finally paid for SiriusXM, but I use this thing that Bank of America offers wherein you can make up a fake, well, not fake credit card number. It's a real credit card number, but a one-time use credit card number uh, in order to give to this company. And I had said, oh, they'll probably put me in collections if I, you know, just let the, the credit card expire, which was the theory I was going to have if, if I had problems canceling. Well, as it turns out, this feature is called ShopSafe. And within days of that recording, Bank of America sent the following. On September 20th, we are discontinuing our online ShopSafe service. At this date, you will no longer be able to use the service to create new ShopSafe virtual credit card numbers or make purchases online with safe ShopSafe virtual credit card numbers. So my grandiose plan to prevent me from having to have an uncomfortable conversation with SiriusXM if I want to cancel. Which wouldn't have worked in the first place. Which wouldn't have worked in the first place, but just go with it. Uh, was to use ShopSafe, which now isn't going to work anymore. By the way, <laughs> ShopSafe was Flash only, and at the same time this event, this uh, email came out, I noticed that Chrome was saying, hey, we're no longer supporting Flash coming soon. So I think what happened was they just decided we can't be bothered rewriting this, so eh, we'll just retire it. So uh, now you know, everyone. I know uh, I know you were waiting with bated breath for all that time, and now you know. Yeah, I'm sorry I didn't let you include this in the event show. See? I'm telling you, it was so important, <laughs> and it got, it got sidetracked a week. A week, John! A week! See, nor- that was so boring, I should normally cut it, but... <laughs> You're going to have to leave it in as punishment. Yeah. As punishment. <laughs> uh, it's deserved. I can't even lie. All right, moving on. Uh, John, why don't you tell us about other John's uh, theory about Apple presenter names, please? Yeah, in, in our very long conversation about the Apple event last week, we were talking about how some presenters were uh, were announced or brought to the stage by saying their first and last name, and some just had first name. And Gruber had a theory that I found very convincing. Uh, his idea is that you, if you've been on the stage presenting at an Apple event before, you get just the first name. But if you've never been on the stage before, you get first and last, which I think for all the names in the presentation that works out for, it's kind of charming and sort of familiar and like we're all friends here like you remember Anne, and it's like honestly i'm not sure i remember like this person may have been at an apple event before but there's a lot of apple events and a lot of people and, and i can't even remember the names of you know people i meet in real life let alone people on stage in a presentation but anyway i think that fits with the facts and it makes some amount of sense and i think it's kind of adorable but also i think it's not maybe a great idea so apple please consider first and last names uh, at least until they've been on stage, let's say three times, because then we're like, oh, yeah, I know that person. I would even go even further. I would say first and last names and titles for anybody who isn't on the executive leadership page on the site. Yeah, there you go. I mean, or communicating, but, or you could be you could be casual, but put it on a slide right behind them, you know? Yeah, that's even better. Yeah, yep, I dig it. Uh, we were also told that Midnight Green, the color that I will be getting in a couple of days when I'll be, <laughs> that actually might be my third consecutive day visiting the Apple store, which you'll hear about later. Um, Midnight Green, not a China thing. I don't remember which one of us said we thought it might. I had heard it as a theory put forward that, uh, oh, this is, this is a thing in China, but it was just some random tweet. So I didn't know if there's any providence. Lots of people from China wrote in and said, nope. <laughs> not us. My favorite feedback on this were the, the multiple people who, who pointed out like, yeah, we said this must be from, you know, demand from somewhere else. Meanwhile, like, everyone we know is getting green. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of that is just because it's the one different color and alongside space gray and white silver or whatever so you know people i think that what that really shows is the appetite as as you said last show mark like you wish that the that the pro model had the vibrant colors and had more choice but it doesn't so you're lucky if you get one interesting color per year and that's what everyone's going for although uh poor poor jason snell pointed out that uh his his red green color blindness makes it so it looks exactly the same as the space gray run to him i mean in all fairness many of the people who have them so far say it does look very similar to space gray especially in low lighting all right, uh, Jason Snell had a really good article over on uh, Six Colors about the U1 and what is it, Ultra Wideband? Is that right? Is that what you yep. is? Yep. Uh, which is a really great read, including uh, a brief interview or some commentary from the CEO of a company that makes some of these chips. And it sounds like, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, so correct me, gentlemen, but it sounds like what it's kind of doing is almost like GPS, but at a m- very, very, very micro level. So you can get like a really good position of where you are in relation to another thing based on just one of these chips and like a couple of antennas or something like that. Is that kind of a reasonable summary? Yeah, I think so. Like it's it's doing a a time of signal propagation to, uh, to locate things in the same way that the time of signals from satellites overhead lets you locate yourself on the earth. It's just a smaller version of it. I would love to see the tear down and see exactly what the hardware looks like for this and how it's incorporated. But, uh, yeah, this definitely sounds cool. We talked about it last week in terms of, you know, the the one feature that Apple announced that uses this chip, which being, you know, you can point your phone at somebody else's phone with a U1 and they will be the default top item in airdrop. So, you know, of all the people listed or whatever. Uh, but of course, this uh, all the rumors about those little tiles that you can stick on, which is a name, we keep calling them tiles, which is so terrible. Tile is a company that makes a product like this, Apple probably will not call that thing tiles but anyway it's a little tiny thing that you can stick on your belongings and then if you lose your belonging with another thing stuck to it you could use your phone to find it with much much greater precision than like find my iphone today which will tell you that your phone is somewhere in your house and you can make it beep and listen for it like it's a smoke alarm with a bad battery until you find it but this presumably would give you a much more precise location even a location than you could use with your fancy ar goggles to just look around and see where it is and Yada, yada, yada. So anyway, link in the show notes to Jason's article to give you an idea of what could be in store for us all with these U1 chips and all the new phones. Uh, real-time follow-up from Ryan Jones. It's more like radar in terms of operation than it is GPS. I had said GPS earlier. What I just meant was location, you know, relative locations of things. But he is right that it is it, it works, as you had said, John, you know, about time, it, the time it takes for, for signals to travel. And so it is more radar-esque. And that is a reasonable correction. Uh, speaking of things that were corrected, a lot of people pointed out to us, uh, more than I expected, that, hey, you know, you guys have been begging about iPhones to get thicker over time. And they have been. And as it turns out, I talked about that last episode, but Mark would justifiably cut it out because we went for about 14 hours last episode. Uh, but yeah, the, the iPhones, if you look at you know each individual lines, you know, like the 10 to the 10s to the to 11 Pro, they are getting ever so slightly thicker ever since something like the 5S. And uh, Joe Beninato put together both a chart and a graph. Uh, that he had put it on, that he posted on Twitter. We, we will link to in the show notes. But short, short version, they are getting thicker, and the assumption is that a lot of the gains from uh, the the battery life gains in the Pro models is because of a combination of the phones just plain getting thicker, and you know perhaps using some of the space that the 3D touch sensor was taking up in prior phones. Yeah, as we record this, unfortunately, uh, I, I only checked about an hour ago. The iFixit teardown isn't up yet, so we're still going by people's speculation, but someone tweeted out a bunch of statistical speculation about the nature of the phones. This was, I think, even before the embargo broke or whatever, so I'm not sure where they're getting these numbers, but 
they have guesses for the increase in battery size for all the various phones. In theory, the iPhone 11, uh, which, you know, or the, X, uh, the XR. The 10R versus the 11 has 6% larger battery, and the 10S versus the 11 Pro has a 20% larger battery, and the 10S Max versus the 11 Pro Max, God, these names are killing me, has a 10% <laughs> larger battery. So uh, I, I'm mostly trusting the battery numbers because you can pull this from the devices or whatever. The really tricky bit in these uh, specs that have been posted, again, unconfirmed, were people trying to measure RAM. And the theory here is that the iPhone 11 has four gigs, whereas its predecessor had three, and the 11 Pro has six gigs, where its predecessor had four, and same thing for the Pro Max, but the six gig thing is a big question, because I've heard a lot of doubts about that. So anyway, all this is to say, I can't wait to see the iFixit teardown to find out exactly how much RAM these things have. And you would think, with the embargo up, well, what, didn't all those reviewers just ask Apple to tell them how big the battery is and how much RAM it has? Oh, you can ask Apple that, but they don't like to talk about those things. (laughs) And so they don't. And so we would have to wait for the iFixit teardown. Um, I'll be excited if the pros have six gigs of RAM because, you know, why not? Like, I just I, I do like to see RAM going up over time. And they're so powerful now that it's just they can they can do stuff with that RAM. Like, I'm, I'm if they have pro right in the name. They should have a huge amount of kind of like the weird thing they did with the iPad Pro where only the one that had a terabyte of flash had the, the extra amount of RAM. Uh, but I think that's that's a cool sort of pro level feature. And hey, they did put pro in the name and the battery size. I think just based on the size and weight, which you can see in the graphs, it's clear that something's heavier in there, and the battery makes total sense that it's larger. 20% bigger battery. Uh, nothing to sneeze at in the 11 Pro. Yeah, I mean, like, no matter what the exact numbers end up being, like, all the... So, where we are right now is, like, we don't have the teardown yet, and none of us have phones yet, but the review embargo lifted this morning for all the press units that went out. And all the press reviews... All of them, even the ones from publications that are normally critical of battery life, like Joanna Stern at Wall Street Journal, all of them said the battery life is significantly better. So whatever the numbers actually end up being, it almost doesn't matter. Like now we know, like, okay, it's a big deal. They made the battery bigger and it made the battery life way better with the other improvements as well. So that's just great news. And frankly, I don't really care about RAM and I don't really care about how they made battery life better. As long as they did make it better, that's fantastic. So that's that's very good to hear. I can't wait to get my phone. The, the only thing, so so like with all the press reviews, I mean, I, know, I don't know if we're jumping ahead here, but like, so so far all the press reviews seem to agree on on the two major themes of like the camera actually is significantly better in certain ways, and also the battery life is significantly better. So those are great things. Um, the one thing that the reviews have not seemed to say much about, or if they did say it, they said, oh, I can't notice the difference, is the uh, increased. Uh, angles and distance for face ID. That seems no one seems to really notice that, or they say it's about the same. That's the only thing about it that I'm a little bit disappointed to hear, um, because that's one thing I really wanted was improved face ID, you know, distance and stuff. But uh, uh, we'll see what you know when we actually get these phones. Uh, but so far, you know, the, the major themes of like battery and camera being significant upgrades. That's that's good for me, and I'm happy with that. Did you see any reviews that actually test like explicitly said they tested the face ID angle or even mentioned it at all? I haven't seen any, no. But so it could, it could. I mean, it could be this not a thing that they because the, the embargo was pretty tight in terms of like when they got the phones and when the the embargo was lifted. So maybe there just wasn't time to do that. And, and you know, the other features are obviously so much more important. But when you get your phone, uh, try it against your uh, 10s, and we'll see. I thought Panzerino had said something about it, but maybe I'm making that up. Um, that it was 
Oh, uh, here we go. This is uh, from TechCrunch's review from, by Matthew Panzerino. Now I'm quoting, Oh, about that improved face ID angle. I saw maybe a slight improvement, if any, but not that much. A few degrees? Sometimes? Hard to say. I'll be interested to see what other reviewers found. Maybe my face sucks, said Matthew. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it, it's as you said, I'm basically reiterating what you guys said. You know, nobody seems to be completely convinced from what I've seen, but uh, Matt at least had mentioned it and it was kind of ambivalent about it. I mean, some of the gain is just iOS 13. Like iOS 13 made Face ID a little bit faster. And so they could be kind of lumping that in with their claimed gains. I don't know. All right, moving on. Uh, the iPhone 11 lineup is said to include to a charging hardware, but the software has it disabled. Now, we had talked a little bit about this idea last week, and one of the things that we, and I think particularly I had said, was I don't really feel like this is something I need in my life. I'm sure I would enjoy it if I had it, but I don't, I don't yearn to charge other people's phones from my phone. Uh, but then a lot of people wrote in and pointed out Yes, but what if this would allow you to charge an Apple Watch without bringing the you know bespoke Apple Watch charger when you travel? And that, my friends, has dramatically changed my tune. Now, with that said, the Apple Watch, as far as I knew, even the modern, even the brand new ones, don't support regular Qi charging. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I don't know if they officially support it, but like, I think it might be able to get it to work because it's not like it. You know, it's just got a coil of wire or whatever that you induce a current in. So I, I, I can imagine it sort of working, but I don't know what the official support situation is. Well, and the reality is, like, Apple could make it work with their phone. Like, they, they could do that if they wanted to. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's true, too. But uh, I, I don't know if that's if, if this is even true or not, but people are saying that the two-way charging hardware may be there, and here's another reason why we want to see this iFixit teardown, but the software has it disabled, at least for now, which is a very interesting approach, and I'd be interested to see if that's the case. Yeah, I never considered the possibility. You know, I, I was also very critical of this of, the, of two-way charging last week, saying, like, why would you want to kill your phone's battery to charge something else, and it would be slow and everything. But I hadn't even considered the possibility of, like, using your phone as a charger for something else while your phone is plugged in. Right, right, and right. you know, so so therefore, yeah, you could just you know take the phone and the watch somewhere, and just take the phone charger and plug it in overnight with the watch on top of it with the phone face down. Like, you could do that. Yeah, I still think it's not an incredibly compelling feature, but maybe that's easy to say as somebody who doesn't travel with an Apple Watch. <laughs> but uh, but but it's you know all the rest of the uses for it, I, I think, are not incredibly compelling. So I'm sure there's a good reason. Well, no, we've really left the Johnny Ive design error when Apple incorporates a pop socket on the back of their phones, but doubles as a watch charger. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like you collapse it and it's a perfect little watch charger. That'd be so bad. Good, but bad. Mike Hurley would have five of them. All right, moving on. Uh, still in follow-up. It's the follow-up that does not end. Uh, the Apple release date matrix. So there are so many different pieces of hardware and software that are coming out at so many different times that uh, our good friend John Voorhees over at Mac Stories has put together an entire page full of information about when what is being released and, and so on and so forth. This is an incredibly long list. Yeah, it's been confusing. It's, I mean... The confusion continues. I think it's on this list with Apple Arcade and what's the state of that and what's released when and can you get the things just on iPhones and iPads and what about the Apple TV version? It's just, yeah, Apple's got a lot of stuff and it's all kind of overlapping and all kind of interlinked with each other. So if you get confused, reference this page, which I assume is correct as of our recording, but who knows? By Maybe by the time you listen to this, things will change again. I will say, you know, on, on this topic, you know, as we're going to release this show a about a day before iOS 13.0 is released. iOS 13.1 is coming out in a couple of weeks. If you're the kind of person 
who tends to wait until like the point one update before you upgrade to the major OS, let me advise you this year, wait for the point two. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, this 13.0, which all the reviews noted, uh, is a buggy mess. And it's usable, like, you know, when your new phone, if you're, new, if you're getting, the new, getting the new phone, you're stuck, you know, you, gotta, you have to have it anyway. But if you're not getting the new phone yet, and, and you have a choice of when you update to iOS 13 point whatever, I would say wait, like, one version past what you normally would update to. If you normally do it immediately, wait for 13.1. If you normally do, do point one, wait for point two. Because it is still, like, like I'm, I'm on the, uh, I, was on, I was using the 13 betas most of the summer, and again, like it's usable, like your phone's not going to melt, it, like it is usable, but 13.0 feels like a typical year's like beta 2. And unfortunately, 13.1, I would say feels like a typical year's beta 3 or 4 still. Like it still feels like a beta. There are still beta bugs. Like 13.1, I still have issues with mail, the mail app. I have issues, uh, 13.1 broke the way the uh, navigation bar handles transitions in all apps, and to the point where if, you're, if you happen to have Overcast on a 13.1 device right now, you can, uh, this is a bug introduced in the latest beta, uh, go try to add a podcast via search, then hit cancel and go back to the root menu, and the navigation items in the top navigation bar from the search will be on top of the ones that go in the other menu, and you'll have a big stack of overlapping navigation items. Oh, my word. I'm not doing anything crazy here. This is just a search controller and a navigation bar, and it's like this is like common things, and in the latest beta, they broke that. They broke the way navigation bars work in like beta 2 of iOS 13.1. Like this is what this is the kind of bug we're still dealing with here. So like the this is the kind of thing that again like normally you would see this like in in mid June in the beta cycle, like not even July you'd see this kind of stuff like in mid June, and and that's still where we are here with with what is supposed to be the stability release thirteen point one <laughs> that comes after the really buggy thirteen point zero. So this is still a mess. So I would again strongly advise wait at least one extra version past what you normally would before you update. Yeah, I finally installed a, an iOS 13 beta. I installed 13.1 on my iPad, and the first thing I did after it was installed was tap the YouTube uh, app icon, and it sat there for a while, and then YouTube crashed. <laughs> yeah, there's problems, like like Instagram, too. Instagram has problems with um, the keyboard. Like, it, if, you're, if you're typing a comment or uh, uh, whatever the text on stories is called, uh, after a couple of tries of typing, uh, the keyboard will just not appear anymore. Like it'll it'll be a blank area, and if you tap where the keyboard should be, you can type out things. <laughs> but I just you, but you can't. You're doing it blindly. You can't see it. Like it's again. It's just there's so many bugs like that. And it, again, like this is this is like beta two level bugs here, not thirteen point one. Like that, we should not be seeing these kind of bugs for a bug fix release that's supposed to come out at the end of september even the 13.0 gm is rough and the 13.1 beta is also rough it's not um, it's not as bad as i'd been led to believe but it is not great and i echo what you're saying marco if you're the kind of person that that is capable of waiting for plus one of what you normally do i would do that and that's the thing like like the big stuff seems pretty much fine like you, you know your phone's not going to reboot in the middle of the day probably it's not you know you're, you're, it's not going to like burn the whole battery down for no reason probably but there's just so many little paper cuts still all over the place that it's like 
I don't think iOS 13 is so great that you need it so fast. You know, like, I don't think you're, you're not really getting much by updating to it that couldn't wait a few more weeks for the next version. Do we get more uh, icons on the uh, springboard on your iPad? Uh, that's true. Although, it's discon- speaking of the iPad, yeah, it, you know, so I installed 13.1 beta. I try to launch YouTube. It shows me like the YouTube splash screen and crashes. Well, what did I do after that? Of course, I tapped the YouTube icon again and it worked. That's not reassuring. <laughs> like, like literally, I didn't. I didn't use the app. I I tapped the icon, and it crashed. And I tapped it again. And it didn't crash. Okay, thirteen point one. Uh, this is how we're gonna do it. I guess. Just. Uh, I mean, it's mostly been okay. To, to both of your points, like it's fine, uh, but it's a little bit wonky sometimes, and you don't know why. So I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to thirteen point two. Yep, me too. All right, so other news that has kind of slipped a little bit under the radar over the last week or so is that Apple Care Plus can be purchased in one lump sum for two years of service uh, or coverage or whatever. But in general, you can also treat it as just another monthly subscription because everything should be a subscription these days, according to Apple. And you can just pay for it month to month. Was that in the the presentation? I thought it was in the presentation, wasn't it? Oh, if it was, I totally missed that. Uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't. Anyway, I that, I remember having questions about it after after the event and saying, "Well, what do they mean by that? Is it monthly? Like you're just taking the lump sum and dividing it up into payments because you don't want to pay it all up front?" But no, the answer is you just pay a certain amount a month and you just keep paying that forever and ever and ever. And uh, basically, Apple has reinvented insurance. <laughs> I mean, it makes perfect sense, like because that's you know what Apple Care Plus is on the phones is basically you know fancy insurance. And before, your only option was buy it for two years or don't buy it, and have one year limited coverage. And then you know eventually it became two years of accidental damage coverage. And you know, but now it's like you can, you can still do that, or you can pay monthly, which will end up being a little bit more money if you actually keep it for two years. But what's nice about it is that it decouples that time interval from it. So now you can buy it if you want. You, know, you can still do the same thing you used to do and buy the two years up front for about the same price. Or you can just, you know, if you only keep your phone for a year, great. You can buy just one year of it and then stop it on that phone and start it for the next phone. If you keep your phone for three years, I'm pretty sure you can keep the Apple Care going for three years. Yeah, just just uh, do the math before you decide to keep your phone for six years and pay, <laughs> pay the insurance every time because... That's probably not going to be a great deal for you. Well, I mean, if you're the kind of person who, like, you know, drops your phone on average of, like, once or twice per phone that you own, like, that that could be significant. Like, yeah. for me, I still don't oh, buy yeah. Apple Care for my phones, but uh, someone else in the family uh, needs it right now, <laughs> and I'm happy that we have it on that device. That's funny. I did Apple Care once in the past. I don't even remember what phone it was on. Um, but this year, I am pretty sure I'm going to stop using cases for the first time in a long time. And so this year, I, I decided to get Apple Care on my phone. So as discussed in the last episode, I can be caseless, caseyless. Uh, and this way, if I do drop and shatter my phone, it hope it will be considerably cheaper than it would have been otherwise. I need to look farther into this thing because the, my other question that I realized I didn't put the answer to in the notes here is like, if you can you buy this at any time? Like, if I decide six months into owning the thing, can I start paying monthly for it? And the second question: Can I interrupt it if I started paying for it as soon as I got the device, but but stopped for a month? Can I resume for a month? Like, what are the rules about you know? How, because there's lots of things that I've always wanted to do with computers. Like, oh, I'll, I'll use it for the first year to see if it's a lemon and if it's not if it's not a lemon I used to be able to do this if it's not if it's a lemon i'll buy the extended warranty but if it's not i won't you know that type of thing or um 
you know, not being able to afford to pay it uh, for a couple months and just being care- more careful with your phone, but then resuming paying for it later. I don't know what all the rules are. I'll look into it. If, if my if my interest stays until next week, I'll look into it. They had a thing with that with Apple Plus before, where like if you could you didn't if you didn't buy it up front, you could add it later. I think within a month, but only but you'd have to like bring it into an Apple store, and they would have to like look at it to make sure you hadn't already broken it. Yeah, that that's the problem with like you know buying it and then and then uh, not buying it when the device is new. That's always sort of the problem of well, you bought it, then suddenly you drop your phone. What a coincidence, you know? Yeah, right. And and this is the kind of thing too, like. And this this goes into a lot of the um, the stuff about like repair law and battery servicing that we didn't ever have time to talk about in this show. I don't think, but uh, that went on you know last month. But uh, anything about iPhones getting repaired or replaced, you you have to keep in mind. Like we talk about it and we think about it as like the ideal case of people who you know have their stuff and they're being honest and they you know they they break it. Oops, let me you know get it fixed, whatever. But Anytime Apple creates a way for you to transform a broken phone into a working phone, people will take advantage of it in giant scam operations to basically, like, you know, take, like, trashed phones and, and swap the serial numbers and somehow bring them in. It's like there, there's there, there these giant, like, scams that run all over the world where people basically try to get free phones out of Apple so they can sell them and make a bunch of money. Like, so anything Apple does in this area, you have to also consider, like, how could this be used fraudulently at scale to defraud Apple? Because it will be like whatever whatever possibility is there, it will be exploited, and so you kind of have to consider like you know whenever they touch this area, whenever they make it possible to get things repaired or replaced or whatever else, like there's always that risk that you have to consider. We are sponsored this week by Linode, my favorite web host. Go to linode.com/atp to learn more and get a twenty dollar credit. Linode is, as I said, my favorite web host. I have all of Overcast servers and Markle.org server hosted there. And every time I need to spin up a new server, I do it there at Linode. Because whatever you want to build, you can build it there. They have all sorts of, you know, regular instances, specialized things like dedicated CPU and GPU instances. And they have, you know, load balancers, backup services. All of this is in their rock-solid network. It's a 40-gigabit network. Uh, All their CPUs are fast Xeon processors. They have enterprise-grade SSDs, so the I.O. is super fast. The CPUs are super fast. Ten data centers around the world to choose from and where to put each node. They're all over the world. They they recently opened up uh, Toronto. They're opening one up in Mumbai uh, shortly. And all this is brought to you by really great support and really great prices as well. So I've used the support here and there. It's been rock solid every time I've had to use it. And most importantly for me with web hosts, the pricing is just incredible. Like just earlier tonight, I just resized. I was I was getting hit by a ton of requests. And so I just, it took about five minutes and I scaled up all my web servers. I, I doubled their CPU capacity. And the pricing is so incredibly uh, awesome for that. Like it, what it did to my pricing was not that significant compared to the amount of power I got. And they've been just, you know, not only is it super easy to do, you can size things up, size things down. I'm only being billed hourly. So if I, if that plan, if, if that rush ends and I want to drop that plan down, I can, no problem. And then I just pay for the hours that I was using it. Uh, and if I don't change anything, I just pay the monthly rate by the time I hit that cap. So it's super easy to figure out pricing and everything. Resizing is easy. Support is easy. Check them out today, linode.com slash ATP, and you can get a $20 credit when you use promo code ATP2019. Once again, linode.com slash ATP, promo code ATP2019 for a $20 credit. Thank you so much to Linode for keeping all my servers running and for sponsoring our show.
now we should move on and talk about the press embargo that we've kind of been you know, touching off of already. Uh, I've read Gruber's review. I've read a piece of The Verge's review, Neely Patel's review, and I've read uh, Panzerino's review. All of them seem to be saying the same things. I think it was Marco that said so earlier. The camera's great. The battery life is great. Phones are great. You probably want one. But uh, I assume that we, we they, they, that the two of you want to dig in a little bit deeper on some of this. So where shall we start? Yeah, I'll start with Gruber. So you had a couple of interesting points that uh, I hadn't seen elsewhere. And uh, particular things that people were speculating about during the event that actually turned out to be true. One of them is that, yeah, so like things got three cameras, big deal. But the, the big, you know, the, the thing that people were saying that Apple would do well that a lot of multi-camera phones don't do as well as sort of making sure the cameras are well matched to each other, that when you transition from one camera to another, the colors don't look different or the perspective isn't weird or whatever. And uh, Gruber said that basically, like, not only are all the cameras the same, but you can smoothly transition between them, like during a zoom motion or whatever, and you have no idea it's even changing cameras. That's the type of super cool magic that I would like. But in particular, I, I... I really am glad that the cameras are sort of calibrated to each other because that's what you'd expect from an Apple device. And you don't want your pictures to like look different when when you're zoomed in and when you're not. It's bad enough that the apertures are different, which has some effect, but apparently they managed to uh, paper over that as well. You can even do it while you're shooting video. So you can be shooting video with your triple camera phone and zoom while you're shooting video. And while it's recording the video, it will switch smoothly from one camera to another. So it just like you, looks like you zoomed in on the video, which is... Pretty amazing. The only exception to that is at the very tippy top end of the capabilities. Uh, if you're recording in 4K 60, you are stuck with the camera lens that you started with because apparently that is stretching the limits of the processor. So, so it's something for uh, next year's phone, I suppose. But, but you know, that's so I, I'm a 4K 60 shooter. I, I was tweeting about this earlier today. Like, I don't actually mind this limitation because the phone has never been able to switch lenses during video. So, like, if for me, it's just like, Everyone else gets this one new feature except me, but I've been I haven't had it ever before, and I don't really ever need it. So I'd rather keep shooting 4K 60 and enjoy my new dynamic range that I get with this with this new mode than you know drop down to 4K 30 just to be able to zoom in. Yeah, it's probably more important for for uh, photographs though, like because the, the the experience like this is part of the the magic of the camera system and and everything uh, all the software. That if you look at the back of the phone, it's got these three things on it, but your experience from the front of the phone is you just have a phone with a camera. Like, there, you don't think about three cameras. I mean, I suppose you can if you're a nerd and realize the aperture differences and select them or whatever. But if you're just, a, you know, using your camera, just pretend there's one lens back there and you can zoom in and zoom out. And it's just like um, um, from the from the front face of the camera, it's just or the, from the front face of the camera. From the front face of the phone is just like you have a single really, really good camera. And that's the way it should be. And one thing I love about this, too, is like the specs of them are are much closer than they used to be. So in, in the previous phones that had the telephoto and the regular lens, the telephoto was never as good in, in pretty big ways. Like I think the first ones I don't think were even stabilized, were they? I don't remember, but uh, anyway, they like the, on the old plus phones. I don't, I don't think those were even stabilized. Anyway, the, uh, I think I think the big, the plus ones were stabilized, but the non plus one wasn't. I think that, that was, was the, the regular. That was the wide camera back when it was only wide cameras. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But the until the 11s, the ones that have the telephoto camera, the telephoto lens had a much tighter maximum aperture. We mentioned this last week, uh, and so that the result was that the telephoto camera did way worse in low light than the wide camera like you get you get much more noise to the point where sometimes the phone would actually 
evaluate the the conditions and would use a digital zoom on the wide sensor in low light when you were using 2x mode because it was less crappy than actually using the 2x sensor because it was it was such a worse camera and so the result of that was that these last couple of years i've had the 2x camera with the with the 10 and 10s there were a lot of times where i just wouldn't use it when i wanted to because the image quality was just so much worse and with the 11 family with the 11 pro specifically that's the one that has the telephoto uh it isn't exactly the same between the two but it's a lot closer like before it was f1.8 versus f2.4 now it's f1.8 versus f2.0 and I know these numbers don't sound like a big difference if you aren't a photographer, but trust me, 2.4 to 2.0 is a huge increase in light. And 2.0 to 1.8 is a relatively small jump. And so it's it's a surprisingly close match now. So the telephoto is almost as good. And they're both stabilized. The wide is not stabilized. Uh, and you don't need stabilization nearly as much on a 13 millimeter equivalent lens as you would on a 26 or a 52. But it's you know I, I would like it to be stabilized just to have that across all three but again i understand why it's not um but yeah like it, it's it's i'm really happy to see that the that all three lenses are almost optically the same quality and and have the same features and everything else so like you don't you don't you don't, with this phone like you're no longer having to make a, a ton of trade-offs between like, all right, well, I want to shoot telephoto, but then I'm going to have crappy low light performance. I want to shoot 4K60, but I'm not going to have good dynamic range. <laughs> like there's, there are very, very few of those little tricks and exceptions and trade-offs you have to make between the cameras now. And that's really great. Yeah. Speaking of trade-offs, uh, another one uh, is that night mode is not available on the uh, ultra wide lens uh, due to hardware change. Uh, Gruber uh, described this as, and I'm assuming this is coming from Apple. Uh, it doesn't have 100% focus pixels like the other two lenses do. So on, on sen- camera sensors, there are a certain number of uh, parts of the sensor that are used for focusing, and apparently it doesn't have enough of them to do night mode. I'm not sure how the focus pixels are related to night mode, but anyway, it sounds like it's a hardware limitation, and so tough luck. But, you know, that's again, there's got to be something for next year. Like, what do they do to improve this? Well, are all the cameras as good as they could be? Are they all identical? This is a big leap over, like as Marco was saying, last year. But there's still room, so don't worry. They'll find a way to improve the camera next year, too. One of the uh, really funny parts of Gruber's review, which uh, one of you, I guess, John, put in the notes, was uh, when he was talking about how he needs to adjust his grip. So he said, the ultra-wide lens is so insanely wide that I need to learn a new phone grip while shooting photos. I caught my finger in the frame several times while shooting ultra-wide photos. And he actually includes a picture of him and how he holds the phone uh, when he's shooting and I guess he's holding it wrong, uh, because, uh, <laughs> as it turns out, you can, I guess you can see some of his finger, uh, in the frame that he captured. And if you look at the picture that he posted of him holding this phone, you would never in a million years think that any of his, any part of his finger was anywhere in the frame. Yeah. He's not blocking the lens at all. This does not bode well for me because I get my fingers in the frame now without an ultra wide <laughs> lens. So I need to just get it. I, w- I was thinking about this when we were talking about the camera and I'm thinking about that little bulge on the back or whatever. I know there's lots of like meme images going around making the camera uh, cluster look like a, a stovetop with little stovetop rings or whatever. They say next year there'll be four and it will look like a real stovetop and they show like a little camera score with four uh, cameras in it. I don't think they're going to four cameras next year. Who knows? I mean, again, the Gillette Razor thing we've already covered. Um, but I am thinking about uh, assuming next year's phone, great, we're talking about next year's phone already. Assuming next year's phone is like the redesign year where we've had a couple of years of this similar form factor 
and next year is you know i don't know flat-sided iphone se looking shape or who knows what it's like a redesign redesign i was thinking of how will they arrange the cameras on the back of the fancy model so you've got three cameras it's kind of weird that they're in a square now i know they tried to sort of work it out by saying well we also have the flash and the microphone and but like honestly if you have three big circular things putting them in a square is not particularly harmonious Putting four in a square would work, but I'm not sure they're going to go to four cameras. So I was thinking, well, do you go back to three in a line? Do you go to a triangle? Triangle is even more disharmonious with the Apple design aesthetic, probably with the whole round rack thing. Um, But the reason I think in the context of blocking with your finger is, especially with wide lenses like this, the arrangement they choose and the position they choose in the back of the phone has user interface implications in terms of how likely people are to actually cover the lens with their fingers or get their fingers in the shot. Uh, And you see a lot of this with, you know, other phones that choose different locations for their cameras. Some of them can be in the middle of the top. Some, you know, back in the day, some of them were actually dead center in the middle of the phone. I don't think anybody does that anymore. But I frequently find myself fumbling with my phone to make sure that, A, I know where the camera is on the back of the phone because it's very easy, especially with my sort of, you know, monochrome case and everything, to not quite know which side is up or whatever often i feel for the volume buttons either because they're going to use them as a shutter or because they let me know where the orientation is and then i accidentally get some part of my finger in front of the shot and don't notice until after i take it so it's actually a difficult problem because as much as we like to call these things cameras if you were making an actual camera that was not a smartphone you would never make it shaped like this it's not a good shape for a camera (laughs) it doesn't have a grip it's really easy to get your hands in front of things it's not easy to hold or use with one hand that's why by the way i use the volume buttons because if you're trying to hold your phone in a precarious position and then also trying to hit the on-screen shutter button with your finger that's how you drop your phone so I'm always trying to use the volume button for that purpose to be a shutter release and then end up taking a screenshot. And, you know, bottom line, it's not it's not the world's greatest camera. Uh, but those physical attributes, like to think that, oh, there's nothing left to do with the phone design, figuring out where to put your now three cameras and how to arrange them and how far off of the edge they are and if they should be in a line and if the line should be horizontal or vertical or they should be in a triangle pattern or, or maybe two of them should be on one side or one on the other. Like I'm coming with all sorts of very ugly scenarios that might have some advantages but that's what i'm thinking about and it's gonna be interesting to see how many more fingers and fingertips we see in shots on the iphone 11 especially with the ultra wide lens uh neely patel seems pleased with uh the battery life especially i didn't get a chance to read the entire review but uh he had some very complimentary things to say about the battery battery life uh including quote the iphone 11 pro max i've been using every day for for a week has consistently run for 12 to 14 hours on a single charge with over 10 hours of screen on time reported in the battery settings per 24 hour period that's compared to eight to 10 hours of battery life at most for my uh, iPhone XS Max. So that's an increase of four to six hours. Yeah, I mean, there's not, you know, it's very difficult to do battery testing. As many reviews pointed out, Apple is not helping here because they're giving sort of times for their very narrowly defined tests, like video time, talk time, or whatever their measurements are. And nobody really has a good comprehensive battery test. It's not an easy thing to do, especially from year to year. So what they do is they just use the phone and say, all right, well, um, I'm using this phone just like I normally use my phone, and here's the battery life I get, and I can compare it to my old phone. Now, Gruber was nice enough to point out the battery percentage of his old phone to say, yeah, I'm comparing it to my old phone, but my old phone, according to the battery health thing, says 92%, so it's not like it's totally a dead battery. But the real comparison would be, what was the battery life uh, for your 10s when it was brand spanking new and you were reviewing that as compared to 
your 11 Pro. Again, I do not doubt that the 11 Pro is uh, much better. I do believe it has a bigger battery, and I think uh, all the reviewers can absolutely agree that it is much better than its predecessor, so thumbs up. But the difficulty of battery testing, like, and that's not only is it difficult to test a battery, it's difficult to talk to people about battery life because you don't know, you don't know their life. You don't know what they do with their phone. Maybe they play, let's say, Pokemon Go all day. It will destroy your battery. It laughs at your battery. And yeah, you can add an extra quote-unquote four hours. That's like an extra five minutes of Pokemon Go. So if someone says, oh, I hit my phone, uh, you know, the battery dies in the middle of the day, there's nothing you can really say to them because, like, however they use their phone, the battery is dying. I mean, unless they have, you know, some sort of, you know, Facebook thing in the background destroying their battery, assuming everything is working as intended, all you can really do is just buy a bigger and bigger battery case and maybe not play so much Pokemon. <laughs> uh, did you guys read Joanna Stearns? Because I have not had the chance to yet. No, I just pulled out her. I just pulled out the quote from her tweet. Uh, her, she, she tweeted this: uh, "It feels so good to write an iPhone review without complaining about battery life," which is great. I mean, it like here's the thing: it's it's such a big advance that people are get, are drawn to say. I'm, I have no more complaints, which is not strictly true. Like everyone would actually like more battery life. But if you make a big enough leap, they're like, oh, this is so much better that I feel like it is now adequate. And so it's a, you know, it's, it's a time of peace in the battery kingdom on iPhones. Everyone says battery <laughs> life is good. And it will take a year or two for people to go, you know what? I could use another three or four hours of battery life and then Apple has to up its game. But we seem like we're in a good spot. This is, um, speaking of this and speaking of battery life and the cameras and all this other stuff, I was surprised when I saw a couple of people think that uh, we had a negative take on the Apple event. And I just want to reiterate, like putting the event aside, which we also have complaints about their game now or whatever. I, I think this almost every year after the September event, and I think it again even more strongly this year, Apple doesn't screw up the iPhone that much. These iPhones are really, really, really good products. Like I can't even think of a year when I'd be like, oh, this year for the iPhone, it's not good. Like, the the worst thing people can think to complain about is like, is it better enough over last year's phone? It's like, are you kidding? Forget phone. Forget phones don't exist. These, their new iPhones are really good. There's like nothing to complain about. It's just a, a question of yeah, but how much better is it? It's like you know how hard it is to make a product, a new product every year where there is like nothing wrong with it, and you spend your entire time arguing over the percentage increase in some stat that you care about. These iPhones are good. The iPhone is almost always good. And these are, I think, particularly good, right? And it kind of makes sense for being like the third iteration in the same form factor. They're really perfecting it. But they're really good phones, people. The iPhones are really good phones. <laughs> and we are spoiled by every year Apple introduces an iPhone that's a really good phone. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how else to express that. Like, Apple's really good at making phones, and the iPhone is a good phone. And I, I guess people can say, well, it's not the best phone in the world, or there are better other phones from other manufacturers. Sure, fine, whatever. Think what you want. But the iPhone is really good, and every year they introduce one, and every year they basically, worst, you know, don't screw it up, but at best, produce an amazing product. If you buy one of these new phones, I think you will be very satisfied with your product, and then Tim will put you on a slide. Well, and ultimately, I would broaden that to say, like, the vast majority of Apple's products, every version of them is good. Like, it's, you know, we, we complain a lot about the ones that aren't because those are anomalies. Because, you know, like, there hasn't been a bad Apple Watch either. There hasn't been, really, I mean, there was a mediocre iPad. The iPad 3 had some minor mediocrity to it, but, like... You say bad things about my iPad 3. Also, the Series (laughs) 0, maybe not great. 
But it, the Series here, it didn't have like major hardware problems. It was just slow. Yeah, it was no worse than the original iPhone. It, well, it was slower in the things it tried to do. But but like you know, it wasn't that. It wasn't like a bad product. I mean, I wore the Series Zero for for a year and a half. It was fine. You know, every Apple Watch has been a totally fine, at, at least fine product. Many of them have really been excellent products for what they are. Uh, every iPad has been at least fine, and many of them have been great. And yeah, every iPhone, you know, there's there have been like a couple of minor issues here and there. Like the Antenna Gate thing was a minor issue, not a major one. Um, the iPhone five had a bunch of weird failures, like the home button failed pretty easily on that one, and like there was like minor stuff like that. The Bendy six, even that was not really. A I mean, thing. that was that was the uh, to Casey's point earlier, which I would have made much more strongly. Uh, where Casey did have a very extensive uh, section that was edited out of last week, where he talked about uh, the size of the phone going up. Six was the thinnest, I think, right? Like that was, I believe so. That, yeah, that was as skinny as they got, and it was also as bendy as they got, and they <laughs> corrected course. Like that's, you know, but they the phones have mostly been good, and I feel like this year these phones are probably going to go down in sort of down in history as this was one of the good years. People who get these phones are probably going to be super because people love the 10s, and you're going to get something that is better, faster, has a better camera, and the battery lasts ridiculously longer. Like who wouldn't want that? Like I, I'll take that deal on on a Mac upgrade any day of the week. Give you know, it's like imagine if they upgrade the iMac Pro and it was as better one year later as this iPhone is over the iPhone that came before. There was already a phone that everybody liked and no one really had complaints about. It, it, the iPhones are good. I mean, what I'm trying to say here. You would have me at imagine if they updated the Mac something Pro every yeah, year. The iMac one. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, you know, beggars can't be choosers, but <laughs> let's just not even talk about when the Mac Pro is going to be updated. Let's get the first one out there. Oh, God. We are brought to you this week by ClearBank. ClearBank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money with equity-free capital. Co-founder Michelle Romanow, star of Canada's Dragon's Den, which is the Canadian version of Shark Tank, co-founded ClearBank with her partner Andrew D'Souza after seeing how many companies were willing to part with precious equity in exchange for bigger marketing budgets. ClearBank believes that founders shouldn't give up a piece of their company just to fund marketing and inventory expenses. So ClearBank makes equity-free investments from $10,000 to $10 million and can get you a term sheet in less than 20 minutes. They charge a small, flat fee for the capital, and you pay them back using a win-win revenue share. It's not a loan. There's no interest rate, no fixed maturation date, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, and no financial covenants. ClearBank has relationships with marketing agencies, e-commerce professionals, venture capitalists, accountants, and more, giving you a true unfair advantage in the market. ClearBank invested over $150 million in 2018 and is on track to invest over a billion this year. Some notable portfolio companies include Public Goods, Lisa Sleep, Laytote, Buffy, just to name a few. So if you're doing over $10,000 a month in revenue, find out how you can receive ClearBank capital by getting your 20-minute term sheet at clearbank.com slash ATP. That's clear, B-A-N-C, bank with a C in the end, clearbank.com slash ATP. ClearBank. Stop pitching and get back to doing what you love, growing your business. In the last 24 hours, Apple Arcade has kind of soft launched, and I have not played with it at all yet because I've had bigger things to worry about. But apparently, John, you have fallen in love with at least one of the games. Can you tell me what Apple Arcade has been like so far? I forget. Someone mentioned that like a check in the app store you might be able to see uh apple arcade it might be available to you but you have to be on ios 13 or whatever uh i think i had already installed the beta or maybe i installed it for this i don't remember anyway 
I went to the App Store thing and said Apple Arcade is available, and I signed up, and it's like a free trial or whatever, so I didn't have to pay anything, and I had Apple Arcade, and then I went into the little UI, which was a little buggy, and sometimes the videos would stop playing and the app would crash, but anyway. <laughs> Welcome to iOS 13, John. <laughs> yeah, 13.1, remember, I'm using, the 13.1 mm-hmm. beta. Um, I went through, I think, most or all of the games and downloaded like 10 of them just to try them out, you know, picking the ones that I thought would appeal to me. And I knew about some of these games from the trailers and I, you know, I've seen stuff about them. Some of them are cross platform that I've heard of before, whatever. Um, and then I, you know, I, I go, I'm done with that. I go back to the uh, springboard and decide I'm going to try out one of the games. And the one I picked was Sayonara Wild Hearts, which is prominently featured in a lot of Apple's advertisement. I'm like, Oh, I've seen that one before and it looks interesting. I'm going to try it. Uh, if you're not familiar with is that the, uh, the purple driving to music one. Yeah, if you, it's it's a, I don't know, I was trying to think when I was tweeting about this, like, what is the proper name for this genre? It's like arcade rhythm game. Some people used to call them, like, rhythm shooters, like Res, or, like, there's lots of games that are in this family. It's, it's a genre, and I saw it, I'm like, oh, this, this is one of those type of games. Now, I don't typically like this type of sort of rhythm arcade shooter runner type thing, but this looks like a cool implementation, so I figured I would give it a try. And I've got like 20 other games that I'm going to try. Turns out I didn't touch any of the other games. All I did was play that game all last night. I I played through the entire game twice and then had my son play through it once on the television, which was a fun exercise because it's not available on Apple TV. Um, Yeah, I this is my experience with Apple Arcade. Uh, Marco was asking for, is there going to be one good game? I only literally only tried one game and the one game I tried, I thought was fantastic. Now, if you don't like this genre of game, as I'm not particularly into this genre of game, I think the reason I like this implementation is it's like, it's, I'm not going to say it's a simple version, but it's not punishingly difficult. It's very inventive. It's beautiful and stylish. I love the music and it gives me, and it's, and it's, it's easy. I mean, it's not super easy, but it's easy enough that I didn't get frustrated with. That's usually my frustration with these type of things. And so for me, it was like the perfect Apple Arcade game. I I just love everything about it. I have quibbles with the surrounding story and framing device, but I don't even care because it's brief or whatever. And, you know, the fact that I played through the entire game twice goes to show. So I would have paid $10 for this game alone. I paid nothing because it's part of the free trial for Apple Arcade, and it was totally worth it for me. And I haven't even looked at all the other games, which also look like they're really good. So this could be anomalous because Apple spent tons of money getting developers to make these all really cool games and they're trying to get people on apple arcade and maybe the quality will go downhill but having played a single game i'm ready to declare that there is at least a single game that is worth five dollars and that is sayonara wild hearts i recommend everybody try it even if you don't like this kind of game maybe especially if you don't like this kind of game because this is such an appealing and inventive uh sort of sampler of this type of gameplay without being punishingly difficult and with an amazing soundtrack, which I also already bought. I bought the soundtrack for ten dollars because um, <laughs> so I buy because I buy music from the iTunes Music Store. It's I pre-ordered it for ten dollars, but I paid nothing for the game. Check it out. I would also say I also joined the Apple Arcade, uh, seemingly intentional launch, but on the wrong day because of the actual launch day, the iOS thirteen launch day. Anyway, so I also joined it immediately just to see. I, I will say, you know, one one problem I have with it is that. They are launching with apparently about 100 games, and I was unable to find more than like 20. Like, I, I don't know how you really like the, the app store it's is like all games at the bottom, but then the, the app keeps crashing because the little video previews keep killing it. But there is a place where you can go to like all games. 
the uh, the App Store design is so low density that you only really see like five or six games unless you really start digging in. And I think that's going to be a problem for them. I think it, it, there really is a, a problem here that Apple Arcade, it, no, no matter how big the catalog of games is, it's not going to seem big. It's going to seem like, why am I paying five bucks a month for these like six games that I can see right here? Um, so that that might be something they have to work on. But otherwise, uh, of the games I was able to find, I downloaded five or six of them. The only one I've played, I, I did try Sayonara, uh, but I only used the touch controls and I couldn't figure out how to do that well. Oh yeah, I was going to say, so if you're, if you're playing Sayonara Wild Hearts, remember that iOS 13 has support for uh, PlayStation and Xbox controllers, and that is how I recommend playing this. I actually have warmed to the touch controls a little bit there's an adjustable sensitivity and once i figured out how it wants me to play it it is possible to play with touch but don't uh i mean take hopefully you have an xbox or a playstation controller you just pair it and use the controller that is the way to play this particular type of game yeah i should try that um i also tried uh, the only one i've tried so far has been mini mini motorways which i believe is made by the same people as mini metro uh, oh, that is very good, Mini Metro. Yeah, and Mini Motorways, it's it's pretty cool. I, I, I've been playing it here and there. I, I had a, I had a little bit of problems like getting past you know certain levels of busyness in my cities. Um, I, I but you know it's really it's a minor quibble. It's a fun game, and I've been playing it here and there the last couple nights, and uh, it's fun. So yeah, I, I think you know I have a few more here I want to try, but I, I think overall uh, these look like pretty good games. We are sponsored this week by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash ATP. I know you're all experts out there. You're all programmers or nerds of other sorts that are listening to this show. And you probably know about things like Wi-Fi security and SSL and things like that. But the reality is, I still, as even as one of you, as a nerd, I still feel really uncomfortable connecting to some random Wi-Fi network without any kind of encryption over my connection. Yes, I know we, we have like TLS encryption over all of our connections, but the thing is it isn't all of them. And sometimes there's vulnerabilities and everything, and I don't, I don't want to worry about any of that. I like to use a VPN when I connect to anybody, anybody's public Wi-Fi network. Usually this is when I'm traveling. And the best one to use is ExpressVPN. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing, it encrypts your data, hides your public IP address, and it does this with easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, phone, and tablet. You can turn on ExpressVPN's protection with just one click, and then you can safely use someone's public Wi-Fi network without worrying about any kind of creepy stuff they might be doing on there. And this is all for less than $7 a month for ExpressVPN. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So see for yourself at expressvpn.com slash ATP, and you can protect your online activity today. Find out how you can get three months free there. Expressvpn.com slash ATP for three months free with a one-year package. Once again, you don't want to use someone else's Wi-Fi unprotected. Use ExpressVPN. Save yourself. Encrypt yourself. Get that peace of mind. Expressvpn.com slash ATP for three months free with a one-year package. Thank you so much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring our show. Let's finally bring back some Ask ATP. And let's start with Steve, who writes, I've used iMac since 2003, and every single machine and OS randomly ejects my attached drives. I'm a professional wedding photographer, and I have two Drobos, USB and Thunderbolt, an OWC Thunder Bay, which is Thunderbolt, and a printer hooked up to the ports of my 2015 5K iMac. Hmm. 
2015 5K iMac, you say. <laughs> anyway, all this has changed over the years, and the results are always the same, with various drives being ejected after sleep. It's always random, and changing them around makes no difference. No disasters have happened, so it's more annoyance than anything, although I can't imagine this is helping these drives. The Drobos have spinning drives, as they are my entire image catalog, and the OWC is solid state. These are all arrays, but quote-unquote regular single drives are also ejected when attached. Uh, I'm not entirely clear what the deal is other than, or what the question is other than what's the deal. I think this is a Casey situation here where someone <laughs> is tolerating a behavior from their computer over a long period of time that should not be happening. Uh, I know it's not particularly helpful. It's like, oh, it sounds like you have something wrong. Yeah, well, no doubt. But I think it is important to understand this. It is possible to use a Mac with external drives over the course of many years and not have this happen. I have never had this happen. And if this started happening, I would be very upset and very afraid immediately because, especially in the days of HOS Plus, because this is not healthy behavior. Like I have, I have multiple uh, external drives attached to my computer right now. None of them spontaneously eject. I've used every interface you can imagine. USB, FireWire, various speeds, SCSI for crying out loud. They should not spontaneously unmount. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm trying to sort of diagnose this remotely. I'm like, do you have a cat? Uh, do you, do you, <laughs> like, is there like, is, is there some kind of physical problem with the wire in your house? Are they undervolted? Are you overloading the circuit? Is your, you know, power strip or UPS gone wonky? Like, I don't, I don't even know, but this is, this is not a situation that you should tolerate. It is not good for your data. It's not good for your hardware. It's not good for anything. So I don't, unfortunately, Steve, I don't have the solution for you, but I just want to tell you, you need to do some, probably you need to move. Like, I'll just start a new life in a new city with a new Mac. <laughs> wow. So I think one thing that jumps out at me here is uh, they're ejected after sleep. That's the part. Of, so when, he, when I first was reading the question and Steve was saying about how, you know, the drives get ejected randomly, that can happen as the machine is awake. That I found, I have seen that before, and that is the result usually of a bad USB hub. Uh, but... Steve is talking about both USB and Thunderbolt devices uh, and specifically said uh, that, that they get uh, ejected after sleep. So it could just be like, you know, you know what? Sleeping with computers is always a little bit tricky and a little bit buggy and sometimes weird things happen. The technical process of sleeping and waking externally connected peripherals along with the computer is complicated. And that complication you know, something might just be getting initialized in just the wrong order. Or there might be, like, one thing that's plugged in, like, one USB device that's plugged in that, like, the computer goes to initialize it, and the timing of it messes up the other thing such that they take too long and they time out and they eject. Or something, like, there could be something random like that. So it could be, not only not only could, could it be, like, you know, one of the drive enclosures causing the problem, but it could be, like, any other USB or Thunderbolt device plugged into steve's computer at the time uh like th this stuff is very complicated when you get when you get to this kind of level of like devices powering on from sleep and having a whole bunch of stuff connected at once and everything so who knows uh the other, the other thing i would say is oh i hope steve has backups of everything on those drobos because that is a scary thought to say the drobo has my entire image catalog on it because drobos are not known for their reliability and I, I sure hope you have a backup, Steve. So uh, last time we did Ask ATP three years ago, we had a question from Marco Silva about communities. And we weren't sure what Marco meant by that, but... John was very sure. 
Yeah, I was totally sure, but I was obviously wrong. I don't, I did not hear, I had never heard of, uh, Anyway, continue reading. I'm sorry that I wasn't clear enough on my tweet about communities, but I wasn't referencing Nextdoor. I didn't even know what it was. My original <laughs> okay, question good. was about yeah, yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> my original question was about WhatsApp groups or Telegram, public or private, Discord, Slack, Face- Facebook Messenger, and even IRC. Basically, non-iMessage messaging apps that are used by someone on by someone's online community. I have a small group of people in my university class on Telegram, and I. Pers- participate rarely in some open source communities and there's a bit of fragmentation nowadays also any updates on marco's beach community facebook migration project yeah so this type of community is basically uh i i want a bunch of people to have some kind of community online i mean there may be some physical locality or they may be at the same university but it's not like next door where you all have to live near each other it's just like i don't know you're like for Discord or whatever, people who play a particular video game together or just a bunch of friends who live all across the country where do you meet and discuss and you know although we don't use it that much in this country and then not personally things like whatsapp are uh, much more popular elsewhere in the world facebook is popular with all the normal people who don't realize how evil facebook is uh and irc of course is popular with the nerds uh uh, slack is there i was gonna say i was surprised not to see uh, slack mentioned but yeah those are boy those are there are a lot of choices i don't have uh any experience with whatsapp other than reading about it so i have no idea what that's like but i can say having used slack for since since nearly its inception it is a community messaging app that fits the way i work like i I use slack at my job i use it i have a million slacks with for you know all the other groups of friends that i hang out with online and i think it is much nicer than irc in pretty much every way especially for people who don't want to nerd out uh, and it's the app is getting better all the time, and I really like Slack. So that's my recommendation to uh, if you have, if you have to pick one of those things. Discord is similar. Uh, I have some experience with that, but I prefer Slack. I've found that over the last year or two, I have gone from participating in zero iMessage group chats to a handful. And I actually quite like that. There's one in particular that I have running that's myself and a couple of friends of mine who are big, you know, car nerds. And I'm not talking about the two of you on the show, a different couple of friends of mine. And we often talk about cars, uh, occasionally talk about uh, other nerdy stuff. But uh, we typically are chatting at least once pretty much every single day in that chat. And I've actually come to quite like that. It's a lot less fun when it's not everyone on iMessage. Uh, You know, it's a lot smoother on iMessage. But if you have a situation where you're willing to exchange, you know, contact information with everyone and everyone is on an iPhone, I do recommend in that, in that once you can get through those caveats, that having a, a group iMessage thread is quite nice. Uh, I do like Slack for groups. I do like Slack for group stuff uh, if possible, but I don't think most people are going to be that interested in that. I still view it as a relatively nerdy thing. And I've never used like WhatsApp or, or I've used it so infrequently. It's effectively never WhatsApp or Telegram or anything like that. Marco, how's your uh, how's your beach community Facebook migration project? Um, I decided so. <laughs> let me well first. Let me answer the question. Uh, the rest of the question. I am ba- basically like you, Casey. I use uh, private iMessage groups for some groups of friends. I use Slack for others. Uh, Slack is the one that's typically larger groups of friends. But you know, Slack is. It, I, I know zero of my like real life in person friends, like like my neighbors and stuff. I know zero of them who use Slack. Uh, and trying to get people to use Slack who aren't familiar with it is is not so easy. Um, so for like real life groups of people that are not just like my nerd friends, that's usually the iMessage groups because uh, we all have iPhones, thank goodness. And 
and unfortunately, uh, Slack, you know, Slack just seems to not have any traction in, in those groups, really. Um, but for larger groups, like, you know, like professional groups, and, you know, we have like the Relay one, I have an Overcast one, stuff like that. Uh, we have some friend ones. Uh, Slacks are great for the larger groups. Um, as for the, the, so the aforementioned beach thing, I the, the question there was, uh, I think two years ago, I had mentioned uh, that there was this, this Facebook group that was like all the people in the beach town and especially including a lot of the year round residents. And the, the, it was like the last reason I was ever on Facebook. Like the last reason I was on Facebook was to, as I was in this, it was a private group. I was in it and it was where I could keep up on the goings on of the beach town when I wasn't there all year. And I just, when I, after I left Facebook, I real I, I found a whole bunch of beach people on Instagram and it turns out these are very different crowds the Facebook group was the angry old people in town. And so while what I wanted from it was like reminding me of the beach when I couldn't be there, what it mostly was was a handful of angry people complaining all the time about everything. And the people I found on Instagram were largely significantly younger and a much lower ratio of complaints. In fact, a pretty much zero because Instagram is not really an easy place to post a bunch of complaints about your village. Uh, it's it's a much nicer place, and it much it's much more um, encouraging of you to post nice photos of things that you see that you like. And it's just more you know it's in general with Instagram, it's just much more positive. Uh, and so, I once I found the Instagram community, not only did I not miss the Facebook people at all, but it solved the need for me, and I don't. I decided I didn't need to run this community. I didn't need to try to make one myself. Like this Instagram is doing a perfectly fine job for me, better than I could do, and I don't have to do it. And it's already there, and it has already succeeded. So the need kind of went away. And it's already Facebook too. Yeah, yeah. Nice little <laughs> shortcut there. Yeah. Are the old people complaining about the Instagram people? Like, is that what they're complaining about? And they no, 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 no. It's it's just the typical. It's actually maybe what you might see on next door. It's like you know mm. complaining about like you know there's a pothole on this sidewalk and the village isn't fixing it, but yet the village spent money on police officers for doing this thing. How you know how could you spend our tax money this way? It's that kind of garbage. You know, it's like that, that, that weird neighbor guy was carrying a suspiciously large bag. I think he's stealing things from people's homes. Yeah, it was a combination of like of like that of that kind of bad side of next door. And the uh, town meetings from Parks and Rec. Mm-hmm. Our final ask HTTP of the week. Uh, Matthias Lutke writes, iOS 13 supports game controllers. What's the right one to buy, Xbox or PS4? Uh, he doesn't uh, own one, or own a console or controller currently. Yeah, my suggestion uh, for people in general is just use whichever one you have. If you don't have either one, it's hard for me to say because I haven't spent any appreciable time with the latest Xbox controllers. I have spent literally hundreds of hours with the PlayStation 4 controller. And I can say, although the left thumbstick is still in the wrong place, ergonomically, it's so much better than the PS3 controller. It doesn't bother my hands. The Xbox may be ergonomically ergonomically slightly superior. On the other hand, I think I kind of like the triggers on the PS4 better. I think it's a toss-up and kind of like using, you know, selecting what mouse you're going to buy for your computer. There is absolutely no substitute to just going somewhere and holding it in your hand and seeing how it feels. Is it too big for you? Is it too small? Do you like the buttons? Do you like the triggers? I think they're both really good controllers, uh, you know, especially the PS4, better than its predecessors. So I think you just, just go to a store where you can actually hold these and try it out. Now, that's that may be tricky because if you go to a store and find these, they'll probably be in like a cardboard box or something. So your best bet might be to try to find one of the few remaining retail big box stores that has 
some incredibly grimy, disgusting display where kids, in theory, can play with an Xbox or PlayStation 4 and the controller is, like, bolted to this thing. At least then you can hold both controllers in your hands, despite the fact that they're covered with the germs of thousands of children and are probably half broken. But that, that's probably your best bet. Or a cleaner option, find a friend who has an Xbox and find a friend who has a PS4 and just try them out. But I don't have any strong recommendations one way or the other. But yes, do definitely play Sayonara Wild Hearts with a controller if possible. So how did you do that in your case? Did you buy it for the Switch or did you play it some other way? No, it's on, on Apple Arcade. Right, right. No, I know that. But like, how did you get a controller hooked up? Oh, well, so you just in iOS 13, you can just pair your PlayStation controller with your iPad, just like a Bluetooth device. You just put it in pairing mode and you pair it and that's it. Then you just launch the game and you use the controller. Even the even the UI work with the controller. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then to play it, on the, I really wanted to play it on the TV, so I'm like, great, I'll, I'll update my TV to the Apple TV uh, beta, which I did, uh, which was probably ill-advised given Merlin's experiences with the betas, but I did it. And then I went to the Apple Arcade icon, and all it had was a video that says, Apple Arcade is coming soon. So anyway, Apple Arcade is not yet available, despite the fact that I'm quote-unquote in the trial or in the preview or accidentally have it or whatever the hell situation is that it's allowing me to, to see Apple Arcade games, that situation does not exist on my Apple TV. But I can take my iPad and, you know, pair the PlayStation controller with it and then AirPlay from the iPad to my television and play the game that way. And you may think for like a rhythm arcade game, that would be terrible. It's actually surprisingly low lag. Like, I'm not going to say there's no lag. There is lag. But it's lower than you might think. And uh, Sayonara Wild Hearts is tame enough that it is not going to punish you for that amount of lack. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Linode, ExpressVPN, and ClearBank. And we will see you next week. Now the show is over They didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental And you can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter You can follow them At C-A-S-E-Y-L I-S-S So that's Casey Liss M-A-R-C-O A-R-M E-N-T Marco Arment S-I-R A-C USA Syracuse It's accidental I don't know if I'll put a picture in the show notes, but I've sent the two of you a picture of a very large space on my desk that has a little itty bitty laptop in it. And I'm speaking to you tonight from my MacBook. I woke up this morning. No, 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 no. I was hoping somebody would do it. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, so I woke, I was watching Plex last night, which if you, if you recall all the media for Plex is on my Synology, uh, but the Plex server is my iMac and it was just acting weird. I was watching it off of the Apple TV, but it was just acting weird. It could have been a network issue. It could have been the Synology choking for some reason, which has never happened, but you never know whatever for one reason or another, just acting funny. I didn't think much of it. So, uh, the next morning, this morning. I wake up, I try to use my iMac and it's just not right. Like it's kind of, it's not quite locked up, but nothing's really 
going the way it's supposed to. Like it's not really responding to what I'm asking it to do. So I think to myself, well, this is weird. And then I tried to shut it down and it wouldn't really shut itself down. So I eventually, you know, forced it to shut down. I, I'm sorry, John, I have no empathy for the machine. I forced it to shut itself down and then I, I tried to reboot. And when I went to click on my username, you know, once, re- once I rebooted, I beach balled. Okay. I tried booting into safe mode. Eventually that I believe worked. I tried so many things today. I should have taken notes. I'm sorry. That's why I'm hemming and hawing. Uh, I uh, tried to boot into safe mode. I think that might've worked, but then I tried rebooting again, same beach ball dance. I eventually went into the recovery partition and, and tried to do first aid on my hard drive thinking, well, you know, I know this is an HFS plus anymore, but I don't know what else to do. So let me try that. And it spun and spun and spun and spun and spun for a while. And then it eventually said something along the lines of, I can't even unmount the internal SSD. So I don't know what to tell you. This thing is probably cooked. I forget exactly what, uh, what it said on there and I don't have it in front of me, but suffice to say it was like, yeah, bad things are happening. Um, I tried several other things, including, uh, I took my external SSD uh, oh, here we here we go. Uh, repairing file system volume could not be unmounted. Restoring the original state found as mounted. Unable to unmount volume for repair. Operation failed. That not doesn't good. sound good. Yeah, not good. Did you try? Uh, are you still using third party RAM in there? And did you try pulling it out and putting in different RAM? I am, and I did not. And in retrospect, I should have, but I didn't think of it until it was too late. And you'll understand why that why it's too late in a minute. But <laughs> you drop it on the stairs. <laughs> Did you run? Did you run a hardware test? I don't know what the current state of that is, but there is some key combo you can run, right? You are jumping ahead, but yes, I did. Uh, I did run a hardware test. It gave me a clean bill of health. So I eventually took this external SSD that runs off of USB, and I had Catalina on it, and I tried doing first aid from Catalina onto the you know Catalina running on the external. Tried to first aid the internal. It didn't work. I eventually said the hell with Catalina because it was also an old version of Catalina. I thought, okay, let me put a high Sierra on the external. And I'll see if I can get this thing to just work. And that sort of worked, but then it would just hang all of a sudden, which brings me back to Marco's point about RAM issues. But be that as it may, leave that aside just for a moment. Um, It would just kind of hang for no explicable reason after some indeterminate amount of time. And so then I tried rebooting into uh, recovery mode again, and it wouldn't even do that. Okay. So I make a Genius Bar reservation, which surprisingly I was able to get one within like a couple of hours. Oh. And I go to the Genius Bar after, oh, you know, and I did my uh, hardware diagnostics as well, like John had asked. So I go to the Genius Bar, and I worked with a very nice gentleman who tried several things, including Apple's genuinely fancy uh, network boot and then, like, hardware diagnosis and all that stuff. And all of their hardware diagnosis said, this thing is good to go. Then he said, you know, he and I concluded, all right, let's just try to reboot into the recovery partition again and see if we can erase, you know, the existing hard drive, which I really didn't want to do, but I, I, I don't think I would be losing anything catastrophic. It would only be minor stuff. Um, so anyway, so let me reboot into the recovery partition and let's just see if the two of us can erase this together. You know, maybe some, maybe I had some bad juju at the house and, and so maybe doing it at the Apple store will magically cause it to work. And he rebooted into the recovery partition and it, and the little progress bar that's under the Apple logo got about halfway and it never got any further. So he took my iMac from me with my permission and said, I'm going to run some diagnostics overnight. That'll tell us if there's RAM problems. That'll tell us if there's other problems. I mean, again, he did the like quick and dirty diagnosis that, that the only Apple can do. But he said they apparently have some like four to six hour diagnosis they can run. 
that will give a much better view of what's broken. Um, this is an iMac that is officially labeled a late 2015 iMac. I purchased it in January of 2016. Uh, it does have the one terabyte SSD. Uh, I don't I th it had the four gigahertz chip in it, I think. I don't even remember. It was so darn long ago. Um, and it does have 32 gigs of aftermarket uh, OWC RAM. Now, for those of you who have not listened to the show for a long time, uh, this is my second batch of aftermarket OWC RAM because for the longest time I had a batch, in, well, I should say like six months or something like that, I had a batch of OWC RAM in there that, as I later found out, was part of like a bad batch of RAM. And so I told OWC about this well outside of warranty, and they were like, oh, yeah, 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 that's totally our fault. You know, we... We got a bad batch from such and such crucial or whoever it was, and uh, they sent me a, a, a new batch of RAM, new 32 gig batch of RAM for free, if you will. I mean, I of course paid for the original batch, but anyway. And ever since then, for like you know two years plus, it had been rock solid. But in summary, my guess, based on not a lot of facts, is that the SSD is borked. But the fact that it was being a little bit wonky, even when I was running off an external makes me wonder if there's something deeper. Now, the interesting turn of events here, and then I'll stop my monologue, is that to replace the terabyte SSD would run me about $1,000 at Apple. To replace the entire logic board at Apple is like six or 700 bucks. But one way or another, as it turns out, I am now hoping that it's a logic board problem, if any problem at all, because that will be almost half the price of replacing the SSD. So tomorrow, in theory, I will get a call from Apple and they will tell me what is or is not broken with this thing. But for tonight, I am recording on my adorable little MacBook, this poor thing that, I've, that I thought I was going to replace soon. But now it sounds like I'm buying myself a new iMac instead. And so this little guy is just going to have to chug along a little bit longer. Yeah, this is what I mean, I have, I have many thoughts on this. But like, just like as a little point here, like the value of having a spare Mac around, like I, I, I feel like this should inform future hardware purchases for you when you're making decisions about what kind of laptop you can get away with. I always like to make sure that whatever laptop I have, in addition to my desktop, can take over as my main computer in a pinch. Yeah. And can serve as my main computer for at least a week, if it needs to. Um, and, you know, as fun as it is to get, like, the tiniest laptop that you can... Uh, you know, because when you're carrying it, you're like, wow, this is great. I love how tiny it is. And I, I don't need the power of anything bigger. I have a desktop. You know, it is really nice when you don't have a desktop anymore, all of a sudden unplanned. <laughs> <laughs> it is really nice to have a laptop that's a little bit more capable so that you, you can you can have like, you know, a pinch hitter. Am I using that term correctly? Yeah, I believe that's right. But yeah, that sucks, man. I, uh, what do you want to do here? If, if your iMac is toast, which it might even take you a week or two to figure out exactly what the problem is. Like, cause like what if they do one repair and then it ends up, that wasn't it. Like it, it like suppose the diagnostics say, Oh, it's a logic board and then they replace it and then it's still flaky. And then they say, Oh, I actually, it was the SSD <laughs> or whatever. Like what if there's something like that where there's like a multi-step repair necessary uh, before you even figure it out? Like, I mean, what's your plan here? Well, yeah, so that's the thing. So, uh, so up until today, my thought was, I think I would like a different laptop. Um, I think what I would like to do is get something beefier. I don't really want a bigger laptop if I can get away with it, but I do want a more powerful laptop. So up until today... I have bad news for you. Well, <laughs> you have a 12-inch. Everything that's more powerful is bigger than it by a good deal, actually. Well, right, and that's the thing. Now, the new 
13s, not even the Air, but the 13-inch Pro is actually not that much bigger. I mean, it is absolutely bigger for sure, and noticeably so, and particularly heavier. But in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that much bigger. And so uh, my thought process was whenever the 13s come to get refreshed, you know, such that they don't have the butterfly keyboard and so on and so forth, uh, I would probably get one of those and get not a, you know, completely baller version, but a not crummy version. Uh, <laughs> this is, I, I think it's so funny, like the timing of this such that like what you should really do, like, like what I suggested to you earlier, like what the, the solution you should really take right now is it looks like your desktop is going to be out of commission for a little while. And even if you want to order a new one, you're going to want to customize it. That's going to take, you know, a couple of weeks to arrive, maybe, you know, and I wouldn't want to go a couple of weeks on just a 12 inch. And so my suggestion was, well, really, this would be the perfect time to upgrade the laptop to whatever, you know, because you've wanted, you've been floating the idea of upgrading the laptop for a while. And it's just so funny, like, I can't even imagine a worse time to buy an Apple laptop than September 2019. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> right before they're likely to replace the butterfly keyboard on at least one of the laptops. <laughs> yeah. You could be the very last person to buy the butterfly keyboard. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I don't, I don't think buying a laptop now is a reasonable course of action. I, and I know you were being somewhat silly when you were recommending it, but I think if, if the laptops today were good, and that's a poor way of phrasing it, but hopefully you take my point. If, if the laptops today were good, then yeah, I'd probably just buy a really nice laptop and then see if I even need a desktop. Like I do want, I like having an iMac. I do want to continue to have an iMac, but maybe I would just, you know, go with just a 13 or 15 inch MacBook Pro for a while and bide my time or something like that and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, but my current thinking is I uh, going on the assumption that this iMac is cooked in some way, shape or form, which I think it is. I think what I want to do is get a new iMac and then it becomes a discussion of, well, do you want to get a new iMac iMac or do I want to get an iMac Pro? <sighs> okay, so the, the iMac Pro is a couple of years old now, but if I wanted to get an iMac with at least a terabyte of storage, which I would, preferably two at this point, if I wanted to get an iMac with at least 32 gigs of RAM, yeah, which I, I think I do, and if I wanted to get one that has a reasonably nice processor, like I didn't look at the numbers, but at that point I'm hovering at what? I mean, I know you pretty much keep the Apple product catalog in your in your brain, Marco. So that's something like three thousand, thirty five hundred bucks to get it approximately to that point. Is that fair to say? Yeah, to, to get an iMac to roughly match the specs of the base model iMac Pro is thirty six hundred, I believe. And at that point, like, should I just spend another fifteen hundred dollars? Since I, yes. I, 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 I don't, I'm not one to buy <laughs> computers often. And as much as I love to poke fun at, it, it, especially Marco for buying computers as often as he changes underwear, uh, that's not me. And so it makes, I think it makes more sense to me or for me to spend a little bit extra to get something a little bit nicer because I probably wouldn't have replaced that iMac for at least a year, if not more, were it not for it having pooped itself so at that point i feel like okay i might as well just go imac pro if i go imac pro well first of all i'm not going to have it for a couple of weeks which is a bummer especially since i was just putting the finishing touches on uh, the vignette updates for ios 13 but leaving that aside it's just a bummer not to have your main computer for two weeks um well there is you know the, the other option is like you know we when we're buying computers when it's a when it's not like a something is on a fire situation like right like right now like when you can when you have time uh we 
we won't compromise on what we want. We customize all the specs. We get exactly what we want to order. Oh, we want this amount of RAM, but not that amount of RAM. We don't want the GPU update because we don't want to pay for it, but we do want this other update. Like we customize everything to get exactly what we want, and we're willing to wait, you know, a week and a half or two weeks, whatever it is, for it to be, you know, custom built and shipped over here. But a lot of times people can't do that. A lot of times, like something critical broke, and you need a replacement today. And when that's your option, there is, you can get replacements today. They just might not be the configurations you want. You can go to the Apple Store, and they will. You can you can have an iMac Pro today. Yeah, and I almost did. Right. <laughs> Usually, the only choices you have though are either the base configurations, and this, by the way, this is why I am so hard on Apple whenever they make a base configuration of a computer that is a really crappy computer in some way, like something that's just like really punitive, like, like the spinning hard drive iMac, you know, things like that. Like, I really object to the base models being crappy in fundamental ways because so many people buy the base models. Like, there's a reason they do it. <laughs> like, it's, it's a massive percentage of buyers who just buy the base model of the computers. So... Anyway, your your options at, at retail are either are mostly just the base models, and then sometimes like you know like they'll have like the like whatever configurations on Apple.com are like the step up that are pre configured. They'll have those, and usually they'll have like one or two tweaked high end configurations in stock for the high end computers, like the 15 inch MacBook Pro, the iMac Pro, etc. Like they'll, they'll usually stock a couple of those, and you might have to, you'll have to ask like you, some people you'll have to ask the business people like if they you know what they have there, but they will almost always have some kind of high end configuration custom customized in stock, but it won't necessarily be what you wanted. So you you would probably end up paying more than you wanted to get something like you know the faster GPU that maybe you wouldn't have gotten. But that's just what they had, you know, if for you in order to get like the SSD you wanted or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I've I've done that on a couple of occasions with various things, and it's been fine. Like you know, it's it's not a huge deal, but you do end up paying a little bit more. But the advantage is just to have something faster. It's like you consider it like I'm paying an extra you know 150 dollars or whatever to get a faster GPU, and also to have an iMac Pro for the next two weeks. Yeah, and I I kicked that idea around, and there was actually a small window of time where I thought I was going to drive to Fairfax, which is a couple hours north of me, uh, because uh, I forget what Jim Metzendorf had recommended in the Relay Slack, but he had recommended Micro Center. Thank you. He had recommended Micro Center, which has the base model iMac for five hundred bucks off. But what I keep coming down to is, like, I do not have any desire to spend five thousand dollars on a computer. Period. I particularly do not have any desire to spend $5,000 on a computer when I'm already giving Apple something like $3,000 this this month. Not even this year, this month. Now, to be fair, 100% my own creation. I chose to buy two new iPhone Pro, 11 Pros, whatever they're called. I chose to buy two new Apple Watches. This is entirely my fault. But this timing in many ways could not be worse. And so now I'm already looking at $3,000 of Apple expenditures in the month of September. And, oh, yeah, why not? Let's just throw another five on top. Can't hurt, right? But the thing of it is, is if I'm going to spend $5,000, like, I really don't want to. I really don't want to. But I'm lucky and blessed enough that I can without, you know, being financially ruined. And so if I'm going to do it, then I might as well do it properly. So I'm going to spend nine. No, I'm just kidding. So what I think I'm <laughs> going to do is I, I think I'm going to force myself to get at least a two terabyte SSD. I think I am still going to go iMac Pro because this is a computer that I leave on all the time, which we can get into an argument of, as to whether or not that's a good idea another time. But the fact of the matter is I leave the computer on all the time. The iMac Pro is much better cooling. It has the ECC RAM. It has a lot of other things that make it really nice. And if I'm already in $3,500, like I might as well go to 
five grand, which again, such a sign of how lucky I am. And I mean that genuinely, I'm not trying to be funny. Like it, I am extremely lucky that I can just shrug at 1500 extra dollars, much less $5,000, which I'm not shrugging at, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that I am extremely lucky. It's okay. You're a working professional. This is required for your job. It's fine. I know, but I just, I, I'm also trying to justify it to myself, to be honest, but nevertheless, again, you're a working professional. This is required for your job. Yeah. This is critical equipment for you to do your job. I don't know if this computer is required for your job, but you should be more upset about buying a 2017 computer for $5,000. See, here's the thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, like some of the retailers like Micro Center, B&H, Best Buy, like you can probably get a few hundred dollars off just because it is not new, you know, not, not a new model. But that being said, like, I got to say, like, even today, the, the late 2017, so the two-year-old iMac Pro is still an incredibly good computer. Like, I, I have like I have similar feelings about my car as I do about my computer of like I'm so happy with it that if it was like stolen tomorrow if I had to replace it instantly today like with what's available today I would get the exact same thing I, the same thing's true about my car and my iMac Pro I'm so happy with it I would literally get the exact same thing to replace it if I had to and even in a world where suppose it's you know two or three months from now and the Mac Pro is in regular availability I think I would just still replace my iMac Pro with the exact same thing if that's what was available because that's how happy I am with this computer. It's yes, it is 2 years old. So yes, you shouldn't be paying full price for it if you can at all avoid it. But my goodness, is it a fantastic computer. And it like you know, for you, I you know, that this may vary for you, but for me, it still solves my needs better than anything else in the lineup could, including the upcoming Mac Pro. And so it is just a fantastic computer. It is not a great value, but not a terrible value for what it is. And there is nothing in the lineup that is better for most people than this. So my question is, which processor do I get? Because a friend of mine was telling me the 10 cores is a sweet spot. And before you interrupt me, let me just you know kind of put everything on the table. I don't feel like I need anything more than the 8 core, but a friend was saying the 10 core is a sweet spot. I should get that. How much RAM do I get? I don't know why I would need more than 32 gigs for the kind of thing I do, but you know, it's not ruinous to get 64 so you know should i consider it and what size ssd because i think uh, myself and i think the two of you based on our slack conversations agree that two terabyte is probably the minimum for a computer i plan to keep for several years god willing but uh there actually is right now a refurb uh imac pro on apple's site i don't have it in front of me but it was something like $5,200 or something like that? It was $5,249. So $250 above the uh, the regular retail starting price. Right. But it had a 4 terabyte SSD, which in and of itself is normally a $1,200 option. And not only that, but I could have it like the end of the week, as opposed to if I do a CTO or whatever they call it, a, a BTO, yeah. build to order, whatever it's called. Um, if I do that, then it won't be available until the very end of the month. So what leaving aside whether I go refurb or what or whatever what would the two of you recommend in terms of how many cores how much ram and how much ssd I would say obsess over this less than you are buy that refurb and be done with it uh for lots of reasons <laughs> like you need this now you need this quickly that will come quickly the the iMac Pro is one of the only things Apple sells where the base model is fantastic and this is the base model plus a 4 terabyte ssd Right. Uh, I would say, you know, because the base RAM is already 32. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you had the luxury to customize things and wait a long time, 
maybe consider going 64 because of you know you do heavy work and stuff like that but like you don't, you probably don't need it you've had 32 all this time and it's been fine right so you yeah. probably don't need 64 yeah. uh the base eight core cpu is great the 10 core is indeed the sweet spot for developer workloads but it's not that much better than the, than the eight core it's not that big of a deal to go from eight to ten if you again if you were customizing sure go for the 10 but you need something quickly and there and because it's old you have some of these really cool and amazing deals available on certain configurations that people happen to have in stock i would get that i would just get that refurb and move on with this and be done with it john any thoughts as hopefully evidenced by the people who are listening to this podcast right now, you are not in desperate need of anything. I think you should use your MacBook until November and revisit this question. November? Why November? Because that gives enough time for any potential iMac update, and it gives enough time for the Mac Pro configurator to hopefully exist. <laughs> I'm not getting a Mac Pro. That is not yeah. up for grabs. Actually, there is one other advantage to this plan. For using your 12-inch MacBook for all that time, Anything you get after it will feel amazingly fast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I mean, it might be worth it for that feeling alone. That first time you boot up the new computer and everything's like zipping into place and it just blows you away after going from a 12 inch. Just use it for podcast recording. Does it feel slow now? You're staring at a screen talking to a microphone. It doesn't have, you don't touch the computer. Just talk. It works fine. See, that'll hold you over for a month or two. Well, but the problem is then I have vignette floating around without yeah, an iOS 13 well, update. That's, I mean, you can you can do dev work on that a little bit. That's where it'll be slow, but during during podcasting, it won't be a big deal. I, I have to also tell you that Overcast will not have an iOS 13 update for probably that entire time <laughs> either. Well, yes, but Overcast has dark mode already. And, I, and I'm and not trying to be funny. Like, that to me is a big deal. I, I don't think I'm going to be on day one since I need to submit like today in order to get there by day one. But I do want to be there week one or two. And if I wait until November, even though, John, as much as I want to yell at you and tell you that it's impossible to wait that long, you do make a pretty good point. I don't think I can wait that long, but you do make a good point. Um, so I, I think, if anything, I'm going to try to get the vignette update out off of this MacBook. And to, truth be told, I've probably done a third of vignettes development on the MacBook. It's not my favorite thing to do, but I can... I can do it, you know, and so I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. It's so the, the moral of the story is as much SSD as I'm willing to spend money on 3264, eh, 810, eh. If I want it now, get the refurb. Otherwise, then I can, you know, fiddle with these sliders a little bit. Is that basically what I'm hearing? Yeah, that refurb is a good deal. I would, as your attorney, I would advise you to take it. <laughs> I can't believe you gave up on your old computer so easily. Like your computer throws one shoe and you're like, oh, take it out and shoot it. <laughs> yeah, it just has nothing ever gone wrong with any i mean you you nursed that bmw for years and it was just constantly exploding and your mac has one hiccup and you're like kill it kill it with fire uh you're not wrong i mean uh, truth be told if apple can magically sprinkle pixie dust on it and make it work they can fix your computer i i, I assure you it's just a question of how much it's going to cost it will cost less than five grand, I promise. I, I agree. But it's that, and the best analogy I can think of is a car analogy. Like, at what point is it dumb to continue to throw money? Well, I mean, uh, given your BMW experience, that point is far off in the distance. <laughs> well, I'm trying to learn from my mistakes. Th- this is a knowable thing. Like, just look up on eBay completed item sales for that model iMac. What are they selling for used when they're working? And then you can see, you know, what's it going to cost you to fix it? And, you know, figure out yourself whether, whether like, it, you know, suppose it'll cost you 600 bucks to fix it and they sell used for like $2,000. Like, well, that's probably worth it. I don't know. I got, I got stuff to think about. But if I were a betting man, I think what, I'll prob- what I'm probably going to do 
is buy some iMac Pro, like purchase it tomorrow and receive it somewhere, somewhere between the end of the week and the end of the month. Um, and then inevitably, that means in a month or two, there will be a brand new, much fancier iMac Pro, and I'm going to jump off a bridge. Naturally. But I mean, it. honestly, like we've, you know, we've seen zero rumblings to that effect. Like, you know, because, and, and we learned, I forget when we learned this, but we learned that the, the family of Xeons that's going into the Mac Pro is not the same family that would be likely a good fit for the iMac Pro. And so, you know, usually with, with the Pro line, when it's healthy and being updated, uh, every time there's a new Xeon of the class that goes into that computer, they make a new one. But, and it just so happens those Xeons tend to only come out about every two years uh, or 18 months, something like that. Uh, and, of course, now Intel's all over the place now. It's, it's hard to ever know. But uh, as far as I know, there still isn't a Xeon update that would be appropriate for the iMac Pro without like major you know internal thermal upgrades and things like that. Uh, but I think there was supposed to be one sometime this winter, something like that. Like it's it's not Apple hasn't skipped one yet, uh, but it's and and there isn't one out yet. But it, there is probably going to be one sometime. But yeah, the question really is like, are you willing to like wait around? And are you able to wait around forever for an update that? You know, the existing iMac Pro is pretty damn fast. You'd be waiting around forever for one that might be what, like, fifteen percent faster. Like, it's not going to be a huge difference. Truth be told, that iMac that that is currently sitting at the Apple Store, it was not often that I longed for speed on it. It happened for sure, but it was not often. You know, and and certainly, you know, instantaneous builds would be better than two or three second builds because Vignette is not a tremendous code base. But that being said, the only time I really felt processor problems was when I was doing, you know, like transcoding it with FFmpeg, which as much as I joke, I don't do it that often. And it's never, almost never something that I need like to put a rush job on, if you will. So I don't feel like this two or three year old, whatever, three year old iMac was really that processor that it, 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 the processor wasn't that much of a problem for me, so I can only imagine this three-year-old, three-year newer Pro iMac Pro would be just, in, just unspeakably fast from my perspective, especially coming off of this damn MacBook, which I love but is slow. I mean, honestly, I think one thing you should strongly consider is what if you just got a laptop that was good and use it in both places. Because, like, especially, like, if you look at the new, if you look at the 15-inch line, yes, I know it's a lot bigger. Shut up. You, you can deal with it. <laughs> you're, you're a grown man. You can lift a laptop. <laughs> you know, but my commute so, is so hard, Marco. Yeah, right. Because you take your stupid little 12-inch out all the time and work on it. You, you like to work, like, in libraries and stuff like that. Like, you go out and work out in the world on a pretty regular basis. And you travel and everything. So, like, if you, performance-wise, you would be totally fine with any of the modern 15 inches like the, even the six core models like you know they go up to eight now but even the six core would be totally fine for most of what you're doing the vast majority of the time if you're going to have a laptop anyway like as as much as i'm a huge fan of desktops and as much as john is going to rake me over the coals in a second for even suggesting this i think really for your needs a like you know good 15 inch might be the way to go and you could i know this is crazy you could buy one now to tide you over and then, you know, return it in 15 days and see what the situation is then. <laughs> I don't know. It probably won't be any different, but I don't know. It, it could buy you some time. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think, like I was saying earlier, if the Apple laptop line was quote-unquote good, like if this was a good time to buy an Apple laptop, 
I would very strongly consider that. I, I would have a couple problems with it. Number well, first and foremost, I have become very accustomed to the 5K lifestyle, and so then I would not not only be buying a brand new laptop, but I would be buying one of the Apple or the LG, whatever, whatever displays. Um, and that's like 1500 bucks on top of the cost of the laptop, which is still probably cheaper than the iMac pro, but still, I see now I'm convincing myself to do it, but it's such a terrible idea. I don't want to buy a laptop right now. You run a Plex server off of that thing. You know, you need a desktop, you need a big screen. You don't want to buy a laptop with this credit keyboard. Come on. It's not an option. But like, but if you can hold out until the 16 inch comes out, that might change things. Like that might change the calculus. Yeah. Well, then we can reevaluate. I don't think I want to wait that long now. <laughs> of course you don't. You're very impatient. Uh, um, <laughs> you, your, your computer has one hiccup and you're like spend 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 well i don't want to spend but i don't want to the problem is i really don't want to spend the money and i don't want to do it right now seems like you want to <laughs> but i <laughs> but i don't particularly want to wait a month and a half to make the decision month and a half yeah that seems like a long time to wait well <laughs> Paul, let's pull on this thread a minute like when do you <laughs> think if if the 16 inch is coming out in this calendar year which is not a given but if it is when is that event is it effectively halloween like the one that you and i were able to go to marco yeah i'm guessing you can't get one before november but you might be able to order one in october maybe possibly i don't know I, that rumor we talked about this before I don't, I don't i can't keep track of where that is i think it keeps pushing off into 2020 but don't tell casey that no i think it's still i think it's still for this year but i mean and and look like we know you know or we don't know but you know it sure seems like there sure is a lot on Apple's likely calendar that is still left for this year. Like now that we've seen the September event, there sure was a lot that wasn't in it that we expect to be coming out any minute now. So uh, I'm I'm guessing we haven't heard the last of Apple this year, and you know it would be pretty awesome to have that. Like it, all the rumors are pointing to the 16 inch being you know coming out like September or October, and I think that was still the latest information. So eh, it's I I, I would say. You know, unfortunately, John is frustratingly correct on one aspect of this, which is like, if you really want to have all the options available, you know, for consideration, you should wait until that next event happens. Uh, And that could be until that could be another month, or it could be another month and a half, or it could not happen at all. Who knows? They could push all the stuff till the spring or next summer. We have no idea until it actually (laughs) happens. But you know, I think um, ultimately, if you're going to have a desktop at all you can just get the iMac Pro right now because i I don't think they're going to update it soon even if they did update it it probably wouldn't be that big of an update and the current one can be had with good deals and is excellent and i can't imagine anything about the mac pro configurator is going to change your mind because you'd have a similar display issue with that Oh god no 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 Mac Pro is not even on the table. I, so, so I, 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 then, therefore, I revert back to my earlier suggestion of just get the stupid refurb that has the 4-terabyte SSD for almost no money. It just That's it. Done. And you can have it at the end of this week. That's true. Uh, let me throw a curveball at you, though, and I promise we'll move on soon. I really do. Uh, should I get a Mac Mini? And if so, well, can the Mac Mini, hold it, just hear me out, just hear me out, just hear me out. Can the Mac Mini power the LG whatever, whatever, UltraFine at 5K? Yes, it can. That's how I tested the review that I had. Yep, it can power it just fine. I will say the GPU sucks. Do I care, though? Look at a Mac Mini. What are, you, what are you thinking? So what if I get a Mac Mini and the LG UltraFine? Because I'm looking at a Mac Mini and built real nice. So a Mac Mini with a 3 gigahertz processor, 32 gigs RAM. I haven't even looked at refurbs, mind you. This is straight, you know, brand new. 2 gig SSD with the fancy 10 gigabit Ethernet. 
is twenty six hundred dollars. And what is the LG Ultrafine like? The the, About the thousand big or twelve hundred, I think. It's like twelve hundred. So that yeah. puts me at four thousand dollars, and then get the iMac Pro. It's a better computer. Yeah, don't don't even think about buying a twenty six hundred dollar Mac Mini with an LG display. That's madness. If you already have a display, fine, but it's just it's a hodgepodge with a not good monitor and with weird compromises. Just ugh, no, don't do that. But then I would have quote unquote saved a thousand dollars. No, no, you you, you want to save money. You keep using what you're using right now until November and reevaluate. That's how you save money. You don't save money by getting a weird Frankenstein Mac Mini configuration and buying a third-party monitor. It's gross. All right. Well, here uh, let me let me put a final appeal to the listeners out uh, in the no, world. This is crap. There's no appeal necessary. Ignore John because this is your job. This is your work. You would love it anyway. <laughs> it's your hobby and it's your job. You need, you you need, need this for your work. You do. You need good equipment. <laughs> damn it. And I'm not. Gonna, you need a five thousand dollar iMac Pro to record audio. At, 64 kilobits a second. I'm, not, I'm just, I, I cannot bear to see a good friend use a 12-inch MacBook as his only computer for like two months. I just, it's, that's cruel and unusual punishment. And well, and he kind of deserves it after. Well, maybe a little bit. <laughs> oh, come on. Uh, all right, so let me put this appeal out to the world. If you happen to work at a fruit company and you happen to know that maybe something's happening in a month or two with regard to 16-inch laptops, you know, if you just wanted to... Uh, Send a little something my way. I promise I won't tell anyone. What, you, th- you think asking about it now is going to change things? What would that change? Yeah, suppose suppose you get the answer back that there's definitely one coming in a month. Are you going to buy it? I would really think about it, yeah. I would really, really. That sounds so wishy-washy because it is. But I, I it would make me wonder, like, since, as you said earlier, I do take my laptop out and do work on it at least a couple of times a week. Why wouldn't I just get a 16-inch, you know, this if, if it is what we expect it to be, mm-hmm. a 16-inch powerhouse? Maybe pair it with a monitor, maybe not, but presumably I'm getting everything I want in this fantasy world, and it's about the same money as the iMac Pro, but I'm getting not literally, of course, two computers, but I'm sort of kind of getting two computers for the price of one in the sense that I have one amazing computer that can go anywhere with me. I mean, the one thing you wouldn't have is a backup computer when that one breaks. Well, and, you know, you laugh, but that's very true. I mean, I would, I would keep the, the adorable, but your point is still fair. And the other thing is I haven't solved my Plex problems. Please don't keep the adorable. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I also haven't, haven't solved my Plex problems. And this is a silly thing for me to be worked up about. But honest to goodness, Plex is an important part of my entire family's life. Like, you know, the kids will watch a couple of shows each afternoon, and they do that off of Plex. And so... There are other mechanisms that I can do to make Plex servers. You know, like Jelly's been uh, talking to my ear over the last couple of days because apparently he just put together some sort of Raspberry Pi, something or other. So presumably I could make this work anyway. But I don't know. I feel like money, no object. Let's just talk for a second. Money, no object. I would already have the iMac Pro. And then I would still debate whether or not to get a new laptop when the time comes. And maybe that's what I should do is not necessarily guarantee to myself I'll be getting a laptop, but do the right thing for 80% of my computer use. And that brings me back to what you said, Marco, the refurbed iMac Pro and just call it a day. Yeah, you can have it at the end of the week. This could be done. Yeah. Uh, 